prayer, we'll kind of talk about it a little bit. Lord, I thank you for this day, for your blessings. They are innumerable. I thank you for this church, for your people that you've called together in this place. I ask that you would help us uh, to be a body of believers who would be about your work, about your business, about uh, spreading your fame through, throughout this city, this county, this nation, and to all parts of the world. Lord, I, I want to pray specifically uh, that you would raise up in this place a missionary who would go to places that the gospel is yet to be taken. What a beautiful testimony that we as a church could have if you would do such a thing, Lord. Um, as we open up your word tonight, uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts, uh, that you would seal my lips, that I would speak no untruth, but that I would speak the truth of your word. Uh, guide us in our study of this, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to work in our hearts, continue to work in our minds, in our lives, in all aspects, that we would be sanctified by the teaching of your word and pressed forward into holiness for your glory uh, and your namesake. It's in Christ's name for his glory. Amen. All right, so um, we're going to be starting in chapter 7, verse 1 tonight. But for the sake of um, just Knowing what's going on, right? Like, just context. We're going to step back and we're going to look at a couple of places along the way. I want to say this, um, just kind of as a side note. In your personal study time, when you study, just a tip that I want to give you for really understanding God's Word. When you study, do your best. Now, I, I get some days we're short on time or whatever, but when you can... Study books of the Bible in their entirety. At least read them in their entirety. Like one way that I study God's Word is that I will do, I will read like, like say Romans for example, like a hundred times. Like I'm serious as a heart attack. Like when I say, I, like in the preparation to start this study, there were 90 days. And I listened to Romans on my headset, on the way to work, and on the way back every single day. Right? Just so that I had a fresh picture of what the book in its entirety was saying. Right? Oftentimes what we'll do is we'll look and like we're starting in chapter 7 verse 1. And, and I think maybe sometimes we fail to realize that when Paul was writing this book, he wasn't saying, you know, this is a good place for chapter 7. And here's going to be verse 1, like the numbering of the books were added in later so that I could say something to you, like go to chapter 7, verse 1, and you could find it, right? I'm not having to say, go to where it says, or do you not know, brothers, right? Because that might be three or four different places, right? So when you study God's Word, try to get a big picture. Try to understand that ideas don't necessarily end at chapter beginnings and endings, right? Because some of the confusion that I think that's going to come, that we're going to wrestle with as we go through chapter 7, is that if I were to number this book, like chapter-wise, when we started chapter 6, chapter 6 would cover chapter 6, 7, and 8. Because Paul is telling this one big overarching idea of sanctification leading to glory. Right? That's the picture of what we're looking at. If you want to see, well, what's Paul talking about in chapter 6, 7, and 8? Sanctification leading to glory. This is God's work from beginning to end. Right? So as we dig into this, let's just understand that. Um, which makes it hard for me as I'm trying to break this up 
probably next time we're going to end before the end of chapter 7, and then the next time we're going to start there and go through some of chapter 8. So um, just to kind of give you a heads up, I'd warned you two weeks back to go ahead and be looking ahead, because there were going to be some things that we were going to touch in chapter 7 that might be contrary or counter to things that you've been taught or preached to in the past, right? Or if you listen or read books or anything like that, some of the things that we're going to touch, it won't be tonight, so you've got another week. It's going to start when we get into verse 7 through kind of the end of uh, chapter 7, where some of these difficulties that we're going to address are going to come in. But I wanted to take tonight to look at chapter 7, verse 1 through verse 6, see how this idea plays back over into chapter 6, and ultimately back over into the end of chapter 5, right? So I want to kind of, to get us in the context of where we're at, starting at chapter 5, verse 20. So if you want to know where this idea, like if you can kind of pin down a a point that you can start tracing out what's going on in 6, 7, and 8, starting with the idea that we kind of leave off with in chapter 5, verse 20. And I'm going to read this and then I'm going to jump down a little bit to kind of hopefully help carry you along in this idea so that we can cover six new verses tonight. So chapter 5, verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul lays out here in chapter 5 verse 20 an idea and I want us to see him kind of unraveling this idea in the next couple of or in chapter 6 in chapter 7 chapter 8. So I want us to look here. The law came. I want us to look at the words that are kind of mentioned in here and then we're going to look in 6 and see where we're we're seeing these words addressed again and again. Okay? So chapter 5 verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. So we've got the law. And what happened when the law came in? Sin increased, right? So chapter 20, but where sin increased. So when the law was presented, did the law solve the problem of sin? No. What happened instead? Your rebel hearts see the law and find... I didn't think of that. I didn't... Coveting? Let me do that now. Right? Like, that's what the rebel heart does when it sees the law of God. Is it doesn't say, oh, that helps. It's, it's, it gets ideas of how to sin more. Oh, adultery? Didn't try that one yet. Right? That's the rebel heart and the way that it responds to the law. So when the law was presented, sin wasn't squashed. Instead, sin increased. Right? Now we could see sin for what it truly was because the law is good and righteous and holy, but powerless because of your flesh. This is a truth that we're going to be digging into as we dig on through the text. The law was good, holy, righteous, but powerless because of you and your sinfulness. So the law presented, sin increased, but, and this is the amazing hope that we have in the gospel, where sin increased, what happened? Grace abounded. Because of you? No. Because of who? God. Right? Because of Christ. Because of the work that was done on the cross. Right? So where the law was presented weak because the flesh, the flesh could not do the law, the flesh could not complete it, so sin just ran rampant. Where sin ran rampant, grace of God shined through. 
right? Grace of God shined through there. So then we find this idea of grace set alongside sin and the law. And Paul now through chapter 6 kind of wrapping up this idea of where death reigned and now righteousness reigned. All of this happening, the end of chapter 5, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he goes on into chapter 6 to start asking a series of questions. And I want us to kind of look at these questions again. We've covered them in detail in past sermons, but we're just going to kind of bring them up to get us back. Because he's digging in here, and chapter 7, verse 1 starts in this thought or this idea that's going on. So chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And what is the answer to that? Absolutely not. God forbid that something like that would happen. Paul goes in, digs into that, um, comes to this, chapter 6, verse 14, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you were not under the law, but under what? So sin has no dominion over you. Why? Because you're not under the law. Believer, you who have put your faith in Christ, you are not under the law. Now, for us, this tends to like, this rings beautiful to our ears, right? Like, we embrace this, right? Because it makes sense for us. We come after the cross, the culture, church culture that we're in. This feels good. We've been told it time and time and time and time again. Which is what makes what comes after this seem strange and out of place. I told y'all the last time that you could almost, for us, skip chapter 7 altogether. And chapter 6 and 8 runs perfectly together. Right? It runs so fluidly together that if I were to take it out of your Bible and you were to read it, you would not miss a beat. Right? But that's because you're not a Jew, and you were not raised up on the law, right? If you were, if that was your culture, and I was telling you this, then from chapter 5, verse 20, up to the point that we've just read, you'd be fuming, you'd be steaming. And at the point that I said that you were not under the law, but under grace, that's when your lid would flip. You'd be like, Cut that off. Not listening to another word that you say. And this is why Paul, when he says this, goes in to start addressing it. Because he knows. He was a Jew himself. We covered this before we started the whole thing. We looked at who Paul was. What his history was. Why why he does the things that he does. Why he writes the book of Romans in the way that he does. And here he's addressing his brothers. He starts addressing this question of where does the law fit into all of this. In response to this idea in verse 14 of chapter 6, For sin will have no dominion over you since you were not under the law, but under grace. And the Jew here would say, well, what was the point of the law to begin with then? What was the point of it? Why did God set a people aside? Why did He cause to Mount Sinai? Why did He, for goodness sake, send Moses up on the mountain? He came down and He was glowing. What was all of that about? Why did He give us the law to begin with if it was not special? Right? Why? What was the purpose of it? Because the Jew, looking at this, their entire life is based under living and trying to reach what the law has set out as righteousness. Every one of them. Every one of them failing in this miserably. I want you to get this. I want you to get this. That if you were a Jew here, you would know what Paul's saying when we get on into chapter 7 later. 
You would know what it's like to be raised up, loving and cherishing the law, but in your heart, in your mind, knowing who you were. You would know this truth that you're weak, your flesh is weak, and the law is good. Because you've been raised up on it. Right? So all of this, I want us to get this, is all of this is tying into what Paul's trying to address. <clears throat> and he'll start chapter 7 off really giving us a clear picture of that. So where we picked up last time, chapter 6 or 15, what then are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? So he's addressing now this idea of being under grace and not under the law. So here he says, are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? And he answers that how? Absolutely not. By no means. Like, that's a foolish thing to think. Chapter 7, he addresses it again. Right? So I want us to see that chapter 7 starts off with bullet point 2 of this idea of being under grace and not the law. Right? Are y'all with me? Y'all following along? I haven't lost you yet, right? So this is where we're at. This is where we're at. He's addressing this idea of under grace, not under the law. And he's doing it a couple of different ways so that it will stick, right? He's addressing it so that he can answer every question along the way that one who was familiar with the law might raise. So in chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers... Right? So when he says brothers here, he's kind of addressing his Jewish brothers. Okay? In general, it's everybody who's familiar with the law. But specifically, and we're going to see this, we've already seen this in the way that Paul will say that it's from, you know, that it's for the Jews and also the Gentiles. Like he always, he's, his, his family, right? Like his people. He's always got them there and got them in mind. So I want us to get that when he's addressing here, he's addressing specifically his Jewish brothers. Um, but in general, kind of everybody who's familiar with the law. Um, so chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law. Right? So the context of all that we're going to get into here in chapter 7 is those with the familiarity of the law. Right? Kind of those with the Jewish mindset. Right? This is who he's addressing. This is what he's trying to kind of pull out here. And this is what he says. For I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. True? Is this a true statement? How many of you have seen a, a speeding car going down the road wreck the body on the, on the sidewalk, on the pavement, and the police officer over the body like, this is going to be $250 because you were breaking the speed limit? I'll see you in court whenever he's dead. Does the dead man get a ticket? Does the dead man pay fines? When does the law apply? When can you break the law? While you're living. And he's kind of appealing here to what the Jews know and what we all know by common sense. Right? Like if I'm dead, they can send me a, a notice to come to court, but you think I'm showing up? No. And when they find out that I'm dead, are they going to find my wife for me not showing up? No. 
So we get this idea that Paul's trying to flesh out here so that he can appeal to what they already know to be true. And then he's going to place into that the idea of where we stand when we stand with Christ, right? This is what's going on. For I'm speaking to the one who knows the law that the law is binding only uh, on a person only as long as he lives. And now he's going to go into this idea of marriage. I want to stop and I want to say a couple of things about this. We're not going to get into marriage tonight, right? This is not going to be like a, a, a message sermon on marriage and, and all the intricacies of it. This particular passage of text does not say everything that there is to say about marriage. I want us to understand that, right? But Paul brings out from it an analogy that can be made that we're going to use here. So tonight's not about marriage in general, but we're going to look at a specific aspect of marriage that is in the law that we're going to now use here to pull out what Paul wants us to see about our relationship with the law. So as we dig through this, there's some specifics that we're looking for, right? No, we're not digging into seeing if we can find any loopholes or, or whatever in this. That he's using the idea of marriage and the covenant of marriage for a very specific purpose here. So we're going to keep our eyes and our focus it tonight on that specific purpose that he's trying to go through. Uh, so chapter 7, verse 2, For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So I want us to think about what truth we can get out of this text. Right? What is the truth that he's trying to reveal to us? Marriage is binding for what? Only while you're alive. If you cheat on your spouse while they are alive, what are you? If your spouse dies and you marry another, what are you? Married. <laughs> You're married. Okay? That's what we can clearly see from this text. That if a spouse dies, the living spouse is freed from the law. Right? Now, I want us to see something that I find that's interesting in this. Right? Is that it's the spouse that dies. Oh, not, not the spouse that dies. But we're looking at the wife here who is the spouse that lives and she does nothing. Right? She doesn't die. Y'all follow me here? She's freed from the law by doing what? Her husband dies. She's freed from the law by the death of another. Right? Do y'all do see this? That the law is binding. She does nothing. Her husband dies. She's what? Free to remarry. Now I want us to understand this. That in this work of salvation, you... Die in Christ. But it's Christ who died. Right? You are free from the law, not because you physically died, and then you physically came back to life. Right? But you are united in the work of Christ in such a way that it is as if you did. 
dead die and come back to life. You are free in that way. Right? I want us to follow that. That it's the death of Christ that we find ourselves in. It's the work of Christ that we find ourselves in. I want you to see, even in the analogies and the way that he uses these things, what a big truth that he's telling us about whose work this is. Right? Whose work have we been talking about this salvation thing being from the very beginning of this book? It's Christ's work. And I want us to see that even in the analogy where we would here be the surviving spouse, the wife, the wife does nothing but survive. Right? The husband dies. She's freed. Likewise. Likewise. Let's continue on in the text. Verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law. Through what? Through the body of Christ. So, who's done this work of setting you free from the law? Who's done the work we've already covered of setting you free from sin? Whose work is it? Whose work is it? Whose work is it? I'll say it a hundred times because sometimes I don't think we get it. Or I don't think that it lands on us like it should. We find ourselves as believers in Christ. Our hope is fixed in Christ. You are free from the law in Christ. You are united with Him in death. The hope that's been given to us by Scripture is that you will also be united with Him in the resurrection. Right? This, as believers, is what we hope for. What we look to. I want you to get this. That your freedom is given to you by the work of Christ. The death of Christ. Right? And there's some amazing stuff that we're going to see also in this. So, verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you might belong to another. Right? So you're uniting with Christ is with purpose, right? I want you to follow me here. I want you to think about this. That you have been united with Christ so that you would be dead to the law, and the law likewise dead to you, no longer bound by it, not so that you could go off and do your own thing, right? I want you to... I want you to understand this, that you were freed from that so that you could be bound to another. And that is a very good thing. Like we are a people that live in a culture where we think like self-autonomy or me doing it myself is the highest of all goods. Right? Like me doing what my will is for me in this moment. This self-satisfying, self-glorifying, leading us ultimately probably to destruction in the grave. This idea that my purpose in life is for ultimately to be happy. Right? That's what we think. So that everything that we do, we gear it towards that. But I want you to get this. That you've been united with Christ in death. You were counted in that to be freed from the law so that you could be bound to Christ Himself. Now y'all following me. 
This is why Paul, and I want you to, I want you to follow me, because when we get into next week, and I hope that you've been studying ahead, but we'll get into it whether you have been or not next week. When we get into this text that is probably the most difficult to wrestle with and grapple with text that we will have come up to at this point in the book, what I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt is that when Paul opened up this letter, he said, I am a slave of who? Christ. And that does not change when he gets into chapter 7. Because we see him getting back on that soapbox when he gets into chapter 8. Right? So I want us to be prepared when we get there. So that when I ask you whose slave are you as a believer, who are you bound to, who will you respond? You are the bride and who is your husband? Christ is your husband. And you, church, are His bride. And I want you to get this. He died once for sin, raised to life for God, never to die again. So I want you to get this. You're never going to be set free from Him. The law that binds you to Him, binds you for eternity to Him. Where your first husband could die, Your second husband will live and reign forever, church. You are His, and He is yours. So let's press on into this. To Him who was raised from the dead. Right? So so that you may belong to another, and that... Another that you belong to, church, very specifically, is the one who's been raised from the dead. Who is that? Say it for me so that I know you know what I'm talking about. Who are you bound to? Who is your husband? Bride of Christ, who is your husband? Christ is your husband. Now you've been bound to your husband. And you will produce fruit for your husband. I want you to follow me here. This has been sprinkled in along the way, right? This idea that you will, if you are a believer, you will, right? You will produce fruit. You will be a fruit bearer for God because the Holy Spirit indwells you if you are a believer and the Holy Spirit produces fruit. Galatians 5.22, if you want to know what that fruit looks like, go read it. I'll say it again. Galatians 5.22, if you want to know what that fruit looks like. If you want to check yourself, right? But you will produce fruit. Let's let's bounce back to chapter 6, verse 22, in case we missed it somewhere along the way. But now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get, right? Not the fruit you work for, not the fruit you labor after, the fruit you get, because the Holy Spirit is given to you, leads to what? What does the Scripture say? It leads to... To sanctification. The Holy Spirit produces fruit in you as a believer that leads you to sanctification. You are being led by the bride, or you are the bride of Christ being led by your husband, and you will make it. You will produce fruit. Let's continue in the Scripture where we're at. I'm just going to pick back up at 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law, but through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to Him that was raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit. 
all of this. You're raised to life so that you bear fruit. God rescued you. You bear fruit for Him. That's what it says. So that in order that we may bear fruit for God. This is what you've been called to. This is what your purpose in life is. And God is doing this. Do we get that? Do we understand that there is something real taking place in us? That there is something real that we are being led by the Holy Spirit into righteousness. That the fruit you get leads to sanctification. The fruit you get, church, leads to sanctification. And I want to go ahead and lay out there a promise for you. This sanctification leads to your glory one day. Leads to your glory. Right? It's God doing this work. It has been God doing this work. Verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, again, pay attention to the wording that's used. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law. So our passions, the law is present. Our passions are now aroused by this. What happens? They were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. You were living before Christ bearing fruit for death. But, but... Now, verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. I'm going to read this a couple of times because what I want you to get is I want you to understand that next week, when we step into the text that we step into, I want you to be in the mindset that Paul wants his Jewish people who are familiar with the law to be in when he gets there, right? I want you to understand that when he says something like this, but now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, that if you were a Jew, you would be fuming the law. All held you captive? Are you serious, man? Am I hearing what I think I'm hearing? Where's my stone to throw at you? Boy, have you fell from the faith, Paul? You used to be high up on that Jewish ladder. And now here you are. Sounds to me like you're scorning the family that you came from. Held you captive. Held you captive. Really? Like that's the mindset that I want you to... To be in when we get there. I want you to understand that that's what you would be thinking had you been raised up your entire life thinking it was your effort in fulfilling the law. And then Paul comes along and says, you're set free from it. You're set free from it. That you might quite well be standing there thinking, what do I got to be set free from, my friend? I think I'm doing all right." Right? That's where Paul's leading us. I want us to get that. But now, verse 6. But now, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. So I want you to get, and I've been trying to plant these seeds all along the way, this idea of as a believer, the way that you're living, the way that you should be living is a Spirit-filled, Spirit-empowered, supernaturally enabled life. Right? I want y'all to get that. I want y'all to understand that, that as Christians, 
the life that you live must bear fruit by the Spirit of God. If you do not bear fruit, what does that mean of you? I want us to follow this. I want us to understand this. That if what I've been telling you thus far is true, and y'all have been following me along this way, then what we should get, what we should see, is that for the believer, fruit is inevitable. For the believer, fruit is inevitable. And this is one of those moments where we, as at least confessing believers, should be examining ourselves. And we examine ourselves not to say, what have I done? But has the Holy Spirit done anything? Right? Because what I'm telling you is that as believers, the fruit that you will bear will be through the enabling and empowering of the Holy Spirit. So if there is no fruit, and here's what, I'm, here's what I want to get, I mean, we're going to get real with this. If you live your entire life, and there is no fruit that is bore in your life, then it is quite likely you do not and never did know Christ. No matter what you said about Him. Because here's what I'm telling you. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. It leads there. It's what happens. Some may, some may make it farther in your eyes. Right? I want you to get this, that some may indeed look like Paul at the end of it. right? And then there may be others that don't look quite like that. But if you, examining your life by the Word of God, see zero fruit, the Holy Spirit is not in you. And if the Holy Spirit is not in you, go read chapter 8. If the Holy Spirit is not in you, you are not Christ. And if you are not Christ... And it's because you don't believe. Right? It's because you've not placed your faith in Him. Right? But for you believers, who your fruit may not be what you would hope it would be, let me encourage you in this, that your fruit will increase. Your fruit will increase. You will grow in maturity. Right? You will experience spiritual growth. And I want to say something to all of our preachers. Shane's not here. Ask him to listen on the thing. If we preachers, y'all listen to me. If you teachers, they're in here. If we labor our entire ministry and people don't grow, have we labored in vain? Have we labored in vain? So I want to encourage teachers, preachers, work hard at sharing the gospel. Work hard at sharing the gospel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to read 
let's, let's flip to Galatians 5.22. Let's flip over there and let's, let's read what it says. We're going to read 19 also. I'm just going to read from 19 there. Uh, so Galatians 5.19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, chapter 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. So Dad asked the question, what if I were to look at this passage of text? Galatians 5.22. Now, I went ahead and read Galatians 5.19 also. And these are two good passages of text for just general looking and examining your life to see what does it look like. Here, as a preacher preaching to you, right, there may be, you may look, some of you may look in 19 and be like, oh, I struggle so much with that, with that one particular aspect. Now, here's what I want to bring back to you, and I want to tell you, you are not slaves to sin. Believers, you are not slaves to sin. You may struggle and you may war with this, but you are not slaves to these things. If you find yourself enslaved to them, my advice to you, repent. Repent, repent, repent. Be quick in repentance. That's whether you're lost or whether you're saved. If you come to the Lord in repentance, do you know what He does? He hears you in your repentance. So if you find yourself needing to repent, then you repent. You repent. Now if we go on to Galatians 5.22 there, and we read those and you say, there's some of those that fit. There's, I, I see when I examine, and this is why I say that to know these things, if you're new in the faith, probably you're going to look at all of these and be like, oh, I struggle so much with all those aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Right? I want to encourage you, repent, repent, repent. Keep pressing forward. Right? Keep pressing forward. Right? In time, the truth bears itself out in your life. We must be looking and examining. Honest with ourselves when we look at Scripture. Because I cannot tell you where you fall. The Holy Spirit will lead you. Right? And if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit always will lead you to Him, not fearly, fearfully running away from Him. God's Spirit leads you to Him in repentance. So if you fail in some of these, repent. Repent. Ask God to lead you in these things. Look for opportunities in these things. Like This is kind of practical advice. right? And we're going to get into some of that as we get kind of into chapter 12, we're going to get more into the practical. One thing that I would tell you that we're going to find as we press on through chapter 8, as we press on into the beginning of chapter 12, is that many of you have neglected your minds when it comes to the things of God. Many of you, when you come to church, check your minds at the door. Right? How do I know this? We don't want to be challenged. Right? Like, honestly, when we come, we want it to be easy. I don't want it to be a hard message. I don't want it to be one that I have to deal with this week when I go home. Right? I want to be encouraged by it, and then I want to just roll out. Right? 
So the thing that, that we're going to find when we get over into chapter 12, after we've really poured out through the gospel, and we're going to hit it in chapter 8. Like, look in chapter 8 and look how many times he mentions the mind in chapter 8. I would tell you and encourage you, don't neglect your mind, right? Think right thoughts about God. How do you do that? You grow by spending time in His Word. Very practically, spending time in His Word. Right? Don't neglect that. Don't think that you can't do that. Right? Here's the thing. Many of you, if if I were to sit down one-on-one with you, you would probably... I love y'all. Y'all are not going to tell me that you're brilliant. People tend to not think that. Right? I'm prideful. I want to be straight honest with you. I'm prideful. Dustin said one time up here that Landon's the smartest guy that doesn't know he's smart. I know, brother. I do. You see? I could tick every one of y'all off. Right? We all have these things. Right? And you're probably not going to say, Landon, I'm brilliant. What? Let me, oh, let me read that scripture to you. All right, you, let, me, let me dig into that, right? But here's the thing. Here's the thing that I want to tell you. Here's the thing that I want to tell you. Is that God is the one leading you in this. God is the one leading you into this. So if you are one of those who don't think themselves brilliant and think, man, I can't get into the Word, I can't do it, here's what I want to tell you is that God chose the people who were not the elite of the elite. Right? If you look at the 12 that he started with, what do you get? You get your average guy. Not not a single one of them, if I sat down, what do you think about you? I'm brilliant, right? Like, Paul would be the first to get up and shoot his mouth off. Or Peter, excuse me. Paul probably would too. (laughs) Right? So here's what I want to tell you just practically. Spend time in this. What have I been telling you literally from the beginning when I started preaching in Ecclesiastes? What I always do, I hold this thing up. Hold this thing up. My point, my purpose when I stand before you is to be as transparent to the Word of God as possible. Right? As transparent to the Word of God as possible because it's not going to be a Word that I say that does it. Right? It's going to be God's Word being led by God's Spirit Himself that leads you to sanctification. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to go from being, well, I think I'm average, will I be brilliant one day? You might not be. Like I say, God's going to work in everybody's life in particular ways. So there may be a struggle that you have now that you may struggle till you're dead. But here's the thing. Struggle with it, please. Struggle with it. Don't give up on it. Don't say, well, I'll just deal with that later. Right? Don't quit in that. Pray. Repent. 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 Let's close on that. Let's close on that. Let's close in repentance. Can we, as believers, can we... I don't ask you to come to the altar. Can we live our lives in quick repentance? You want fruit to be bearing in your life? You question, I don't know if I see fruit in my life. Repent. Repent. Do you think God is going to see the broken heart and be like, man, that's so hideous to me? Look through Scripture if you think that's the case. Because what you're going to find is that God loves the broken heart. Right? He'll take broken hearts over sacrifices any day. Right? So as believers, we want to press forward. Repent. You, and I said it last time, and I'll say it again, you wage war as a believer with repentance. 
Right? If you thought that when you first repented, that was it, think again. If you want to grow, repent. If you don't want to grow, repent. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for my church family here. Um, I just want to pray for them all. I ask that your Holy Spirit would move in each and every one of them, that you would do a work in each and every one of our hearts, Lord, uh, that we would uh, see who we are apart from you and that we would live broken in need of you. I thank you for Christ, Lord. He is our only hope. Lord, I just pray that as I preach, that that's what they hear. Lord, that I preach Christ and Christ crucified, that I preach the blood that covers our sins. Lord, that I preach freedom, not in our labors, but in His. Lord, and that as we have been made free, we work out in this, empowered and strengthened by the Holy Spirit. I thank you for Christ. I thank you for the cross. And I pray that you would renew in us each and every day the spirit of salvation that you've given to us. That we would live free and that we would battle against the sin that remains. In Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.